I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show you guys keep talking very good that you guys are suddenly silent <laughs> yeah so we uh so many so many so many damn books Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Laura Vandenberg in the damn library with us today. Um, Laura, hi. 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 Um, <laughs> Laura is the uh, the writer of many books. Uh, most recently, Find Me. Her just out in paperback. Just out in paperback. Um, just this month. Uh, but she's also the author of What the World Will Look Like When All the Water Leaves Us. And uh, more recently, The Isle of Youth. And as well as you're a teacher, you're a dog owner, you're many (laughs) things. And uh, thank you so much for coming and and joining us. Thank you for having me in the library. Glad to be here. I'm drinking an amazing drink that you made, which is making me all the more glad to be in the library. (laughs) Oh, yeah. What is this this most recent concoction? This is the, um, I'm calling it the Lose Me. Um, It's basically, uh, if you want to make it at home, you got to go buy a, a cucumber soda. We're using um, Mr. Cucumber Soda sent by my parents. Um, but it's also with uh, about two ounces of gin, about a teaspoon of lemon juice. And uh, I also salted a slice of cucumber to put uh, on top of it. Before we get anywhere further than that, let's talk about uh, oh, what we bought. Laura, why don't we start with you? What did you what yeah. did you what did you buy recently? Um, I I I went crazy at the bookstore recently because there's a lot of stuff uh, out that I've been wanting to get. Um, I got a book called Vertigo um, by a writer named Joe. I think it's Joanne um, Walsh, and it sounds really interesting. So I'm excited to I'm excited to read that one. And I also got Garth uh, Greenwell's new novel uh what belongs to you which i've been hearing really good things about sounds like Um, an incredible book yeah so i'm really excited to read it and i'm working on a novel now that i i want it's it's definitely a short novel so uh, probably around the 200 page mark and so Mm -hmm. i'm just reading a lot of short novels to kind of you know see how other people have approached that form and it's uh what belongs to you it's just under 200 pages so i yeah i'm really excited to start that one um 
I keep trying to buy Alexander Chi's new book, huh. uh, The Queen of the Night, but it has been sold out to every bookstore I've been wow. to, um, which yeah. is amazing. It's the it's the happiest reason ever to not be able to buy a book. And I also got Samantha Hunt's uh, new novel, Mr. Splitfoot. Oh man, I can't wait to read that. Hers, yeah, so. when you when people describe a book as something like sort of like Amy Bender, I'm just like. Yeah. immediately into yeah. it. It's like gothic Amy Bender. Yeah. Was that yeah. was described to me. Uh, really exciting. Uh, Drew, what did you, what'd you buy? Um, I picked up, this is, I think this is going to be my like post tournament of books binge just for me. Mm-hmm. Fun is uh, Animal Money by Michael Sisko. Oh. Which, um, Jeff Vandermeer. Yeah, Jeff Vandermeer said that it was his favorite book of 2015. Oh, cool. And it's like, it just seems like the weirdest possible thing something about economics weird (laughs) animals there's no actual like jacket blurb it's just this weird beautiful cover Mm -hmm. i was like okay yeah i'll i'll give this a shot you're buying in uh and then the third collected volume of the wicked and the divine oh yeah commercial suicide i believe it's called great um also as just a nice little palate cleanser right Oh yeah, the the tournament of books is always a little serious. Yeah. How about you? Um I I bought this book um it comes out I think in the spring and it's called uh, Sweet Bitter by Stephanie Dandler. Cool. Yeah, really exciting. Um but why don't we uh why don't we move in and talk about Find Me? One of my favorite books of last year. Yeah. Um, my girlfriend's like flat out favorite book of 2015. She just wrote a song called Find Me. That she And she took the title and inspiration from the book. Oh, and that's she, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to explain what, um, what Find Me is about? Yes. To our listeners? I can, I, I can definitely do that. Um, Find Me is uh, a book... Um, I mean, we could probably categorize it as dystopian or speculative, uh, but it uh, concerns a young woman named Joy who is in a hospital uh, in Kansas in the aftermath of an epidemic that destroys memory um, and is also fatal. So pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's and it's and it's devastated and sort of paralyzed the country. And so the. Um, the novel's divided into two parts, and the first part centers on her stay in this hospital in Kansas in the middle of nowhere in winter, and the second part is about what happens after, and it's just, you know, more or less a road narrative, and um, let's see, what else can I say about it in terms of the plot? There um, ghosts, and a weird basement, mm-hmm. and a missing mother, um, and Florida. Florida. And a lot of cough syrup too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. She's addicted to to drinking yeah. cough syrup. After Find Me was done, after you, because it's been a year since it's been published. Right? Yeah, or, yeah, or, just about. I'm just curious now that it's out and it's now coming out in paperback. Um, when when you're reading as a writer, or at least when we read as writers, we often end up like looking for things that we can sort of take and steal or, or that are inspiring us or like an interesting idea that we might incorporate into things. And I'm curious if even though the book is done now, um, do you still find yourself 
looking and reading things that you're like, oh, that's something that'd be great for joy or something that'd be great for the world. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that my my eye is um, just from inhabiting that world and that voice for so long. Um, my my eye immediately goes to the the kind of dystopian details of you know even the everyday landscape. Like you know the um, I was in Maine a couple of months ago and just saw you know an abandoned KFC. And I was like, oh. <laughs> 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 abandoned buildings. And my heart went, you know, or my heart went a flutter. Um, but, but I think, you know, if you're, if you inhabit a world and a character's sight for so long, and particularly since this was a first person novel, so I was inhabiting Joy's sight in a more immediate way. Um, I do think it takes a while for that lens to wear off. Um, but I was talking about this in another interview recently. And I think for me, the biggest difference between stories and novels, um, because people would, I mean, it was a very natural question too, because having written two story collections and novel, when the not find me first came out, that was a question that almost everyone asked me when I did an interview. And, you know, and it was, it, in some ways it was a question that I think I can really only answer now that some time has elapsed because at the time it was like, well, I don't know, one is shorter and one is longer and <laughs> seems to take many more years. <laughs> um, and I, you know, eventually I like sort of made up stuff that, <laughs> was just more closely resembling an actual answer but <laughs> but I can say now that for me the big difference is is that with a short with short stories it's true of my first collection and also true of Isle I mean even though those stories mean a great deal to me those books mean a great deal to me I don't really remember the characters in a visceral way it was sort of like when that story ended and I moved on to the next story it was just it was like a it, it was just like the book was closed for them mm. um and, and, you know, I don't find myself thinking about them and wondering about them and wondering what happened to them. And so with Joy, I still think about her all the time. And she has really lingered with me as a character. And I do, at just at random times, sort of wonder about her um, as though she's a person who actually, you know, existed at some point. <laughs> right, um, like you would go and check her on Facebook for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Whatever happened to them? <laughs> sort of, it's like the, there's that kind of ghost self still out there. So I think that it takes, it does take a while to, to shed that sight and to shed that way of seeing with a novel. Um, but I, I've gotten, in partly because I've been working, you know, pretty intensely um, for the last six or so months on a new project. I do think I'm approaching that point where she's, um, you know, kind of feeding and new mm. ghost, fictional ghosts are joining her. Wow. Yeah. On the path. That's cool. Yeah. That's um, really cool. It's interesting that you said that you would classify the book sort of as like dystopia speculative because one thing that struck me from the very beginning is that the the disease is not like a catastrophic plague. I think at some point somebody says it's like 300,000 people yeah. die. And I I was curious about why you decided or how you came to the decision to make it sort of that that smaller but infinitely more impactful apocalypse than 99% of people are dead? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that was something I decided pretty early on uh, for a couple reasons. I, I really... And I think that there is a real distinction between the post-apocalyptic novel, um, like The Road, for example, and stuff that is, you know, I mean, dystopian is a very broad term. And I just, I like the term speculative because it is so all-encompassing. Yeah. Um, and I think, we, but when we talk about dystopian, we typically like go to something that's this sort of scorched earth end times. 
Um, but to me, some of the dystopian novels that have were the most formative for me um, were books where something cataclysmic had occurred, but at the same time, the everyday was still existing in a really me- immediate way. And so, like, I love a novel um, that came out around 2008 or 2009, maybe even a little earlier than that. Um, we can Google later, <laughs> uh, called Last Last Chance by a writer named Fiona Mazel. And, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a... That's a novel where there's this killer virus, but it, but again, the, the, the casualties are, you know, are, are not, it's not a, it's contained within America and it's, it's not a sort of, um, you know, it's devastating, but it's not like a, people aren't, you know, roasting squirrels for dinner and <laughs> camping out on abandoned highways and, and stuff like that. And so, but at the same time, there's huge catastrophes and spooling, but, it, but also people are going for walks and falling in love and going to rehab and going to work on this really weird um, chicken farm. And, um, you know, it's it's a great book. Um, and Ben Marcus's The Flame Alphabet was another novel that really uh, made a strong impression on me. And also a novel um, that I would classify as speculative. I think dystopian might be a matter of how you read it, but Grace Krilanovich's novel, The Orange Eats Creeps. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Which I loved that book. And I thought, I think particularly in the second part, that book, I felt it gave me so um, so much sort of aesthetic permission to just like let shit fly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, well, so ultimately, though, because I responded so powerfully to books that were working in that mode of dystopia, that's where I was more inclined to go with my own work. And also just for practical reasons, if you make that decision to completely eradicate the population there's so much world stuff that you then have to answer for right um sure. and because where's she gonna get her cough syrup yeah, where is she, <laughs> right and how is she gonna eat and how is she gonna is she gonna walk from nebraska to florida it's gonna take an awfully long time right no she um, still has a bus system that yeah, she can, yeah exactly and so i wanted stuff to be you know weird and tilted and fucked up but i wanted the world to be working enough that's that certain things were um were possible and also so I didn't, I wasn't so overwhelmed with, with these kind of questions of world, um, that I, you know, lost sight of Joy's internal journey, because I think of it as being like a deeply internal book and one mm. that's way more about a specific consciousness moving through a landscape than about the larger world. Yeah. I like that idea of, of it being tilted. Mm-hmm. Cause I think about it in terms of some of the, like the apocalypse, the little, scientific apocalypses that are like just maybe going to happen and we just miss it like Ebola six months ago the Zika virus right now and having read this book I'm like oh that really weirds me out in a way that nuclear apocalypse I'm like well if that happens okay yeah it's not something we're ever going to be able to deal anything with yeah whereas when the WHO is like everybody needs to be concerned about getting bit by mosquitoes yeah I'm like Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, and I, I and being a Floridian too, I'm like that's it's impossible to not be <laughs> by mosquitoes where I. Mosquito, mosquito, mosquito. Something that you've mentioned in the past were these um, details and sections and ideas that you had that were all part of the book originally, mm-hmm. and they'd been like, you know, stripped away. Um, like I think there was like a, a thing about the ghost ship, the Mary oh my Celeste. God. Yeah, or that last. Yeah, that's a crazy list. <laughs> um, yeah, the list was incredible. By the way, Pe- we 
if we can find it, we should link to it on the. Two thousand. Yeah, I'm telling you, 2011, which is is the year that I had every terrible idea for a book and like <laughs> put it all into one draft. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, um, are those lost forever, or as a st- short story writer, are you maybe going to pull from those or? Yes. I'm, I'm just curious what's going on. Those are lost that. forever, and they de- <laughs> they definitely should be. I think that, um, one thing that happened, to, you know, it's really interesting. So the the first part, and I think it's partly because the hospital does have these natural boundaries and borders, right? Mm. Like certain things are possible, certain things aren't possible. I knew it was going to end with her leaving. Um, so it certainly took a lot of time to figure out the exact arc of that world. But um, but the second part was challenging in a completely different way because there were really no restrictions. And, and especially given this, the speculative nature of the world, you're not even bound by you know, reality necessarily. Um, right. And so the the final version, in a very rudimentary sense at least, more is closer to the version of part two that I started with. But it really spooked me when I first wrote it because it breaks so radically from the first part. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, there were these kind of tonal evolutions happening and it just got so weird. Um, I was <laughs> like, I did this, no, I, no, this is not what a novel is supposed to do. And so one thing that I ended up doing is really sort of wrestling with all of these versions that were much, much more um, plotty, in, you know, in, in the more, I guess, kind of conventional sense of the word, like, and then I got this te- which is terrible idea for me. I mean, I would like to read this book written by someone else, but I got this idea that it was going to be like a dystopian noir and there was this crime element that involved a televangelist and these diamonds that are sewn into an accordion. And I really... <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I, I think like a lot of readers maybe have come to your work through your short stories, which do this in a in a smaller way where they're like, they're just outside of our world and the possibility of our world. And I'm wondering about, like, where do you think the line is of like too loopy, too weird? Because there are moments in Find Me that feel like straight up David Lynch dream logic where mm-hmm. you're like, how have we gotten here? And then you find this lovely way of bringing it back. Well, I think for me, when when I'm reading something and I feel like it's getting too loopy in the sense that it's just sort of overwhelmingly strange, but not in a way that feels, you know, impactful or moving or, or engaging or provocative. It's when I think I've lost the character or, or I've lost that human grounding. And so actually, I think one reason why you know, it's, it seems that original incarnation of the second part of the novel seemed sort of impossible to me at first is because there was so much about the arc of Joy's character that I didn't understand at that early stage. And so when I was going back to that material, once I got to that, to that, and I won't, for anyone who hasn't read the book, I won't say what it is, but once I realized that I was writing to a very, very specific moment that happens in the mansion, um, that's when the, the dream logic of that world really began to make sense to me um, when when we were sort of funneling toward this moment and there was this turn was going to happen and then you know the sort of movement that happens after I, I, I 
could see the correspondence between the dream logic and this internal arc that mm -hmm. Joy is experiencing. Um, and and I think, and I definitely am very guilty of this in early drafts, but I think sometimes, you know, when I don't know what's going on with a character or what that arc looks like or I'm missing crucial pieces of it, I'm just like, well, I'll just have more weird things happen. <laughs> How about that? Um, and 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 when and I know you know and that's when when I read that material and it doesn't feel engaging to me even though I I wrote it it's because the, you know there's nothing underneath the strangeness um, right. and so and that's the same thing for me as a reader when I'm reading work by someone else and I'm like well this is all sort of flashy and you know and weird and trippy and all that um, but what's underneath that and I do think that there has to be something you know powerful underneath that I mean sort of like style in that sense right like you we can read beautiful sentences for days but if there's nothing powering them if there's nothing you know complicated and spiky and interesting underneath that then it's just this sort of absent hollow beauty um and that loses its you know it it, it loses its hold i think on the reader after a while absent hollow beauty sorry i just like that you've you've brought a book to us this evening this I have. afternoon Whenever yeah. you're listening to this, listeners. Yeah. Um, Yoko Tawada's The Naked Eye. Uh, out from New Directions. And I want to talk for just a second about the translation note that original, that this novel is written in both... Um, German and Japanese. She's bilingual. Yeah. It starts and she's in, writing, flipping back and forth. Which, and then this, this book is just where we just read an English translation. Um, and I think based off of the German manuscript, just the German, yeah, yeah. So I and I and I it made immediately made me feel like strange about it. Like it, it was already off putting. Like just that translation note was like, oh, this is a strange book. And so I wanted to know, uh, Laura, why did you why did you bring this book to us? What what made you decide to um, I don't know recommend it. I, I this book was on my mind because I was working on a lecture uh, that I gave at a, a writing program in January on unconventional uh, characterization in fiction. And so I was looking at uh, disorientation and detachment and coldness and illogic in a couple of different uh, texts. So The Naked Eye, um, Alan Warner's novel, Morvern Collar, and a collection of stories by Angela Carter called The Bloody Chamber. Ooh, and so I, those, I know, I know. So those were those were sort of the centerpieces of this of this lecture. So um, so the book was the book was on my mind uh, generally, but also I thought in some ways it made sense you know, thinking about like what might have a kind of echo with Find Me because it's also a, a deeply internal book where there's a huge exterior world, but it, it's just, it's kind of cannibalized by the narrator's consciousness in really mm -hmm. interesting ways. So mm -hmm. that was my, that was my thinking. So do you want to summarize, Drew, what the book is kind of about? Yeah, it's a, um, a young woman who uh, leaves Vietnam and ends up in uh, East Germany to give like a, she's been chosen by her school to go give a lecture. She ends up getting kidnapped to hang on. Yeah. To West Berlin. Mm -hmm. um, and then she sort of escapes from her like lover slash kidnapper ends up in Paris, has a whole run of adventures with various people in Paris in this sort of weird, very dreamy, progress that feels almost 
it, it feels almost mythological in some ways, in the sense of like, and now this trial, mm-hmm. or like, and now she ends up with the prostitute, and like, and now now she's with the acting troupe. Yeah. yeah, and it's and all this in like less than two hundred. Yeah, it's a very slim pages. book, and it's written really... in you know a lot of sort of short sections that have kind of fragmentation. Um, yeah, I yeah. I was um I was I was immediately drawn in because I sort of like this um subgenre of person lost and searching for something but they're not mm-hmm. sure what um like find having adventures uh and and she is the most frustrating narrator I have come across in a long yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Where um you mentioned the the prostitute in in France and there the 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 meeting with that prostitute she's just as it's it's a lot about things that get lost in translation mm-hmm. one thing that i it's very moving to me about this book is that i think it's a really interesting sort of exploration of, of tr- like a tr- traumatized mind mm-hmm. um yeah she is always looking for someone to trust she's always trying to find yeah, someone that she can like put her but also in. that sense like what happens when it trauma is so profound that all the old signifiers the old alphabets the old ways of understanding are just gone um and and in some ways i mean you could almost if you were going to make a case for this book as 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 a sort of psychological dystopia i think that that actually would really Um, work but it's sort of like that idea of right and why doesn't she you know why doesn't she I, the, one of my favorite moments in the book is where she tells a character who asks about her parents that her parents are dead mm-hmm. um, even though they're, she has no reason to think that that's true and sort of like one question in terms of that frustration is like why isn't she trying to get back home why is she just sort of wandering in this fog and going to the movies an awful lot And but I think that when there's that beautiful line where um, she says I realize then that a, a real a death can never be taken back not even a fictional one and it's like oh of course the fictional death is hers right she's sort of wandering in, in kind of this afterlife of trauma um and if you think about how she's sort of indistinct like temporally you know i mean the novel uses sort of real world events to kind of ground us but then you're like what she's been doing this for like three years well, yeah and, and, and then, it comes you know? on you so quickly in the way that when she is when she's surprised that like the berlin wall fell the reader is. You're also surprised because sh- you're like, wait, it's been it's been that long. I had no idea. Yeah, it feels right. like you're it's been it's been like a month or a few yeah. weeks or something. But that idea that she's emotionally indistinct, she's temporally indistinct, and that her existence is very spectral and very ghost-like in that in that way. Um, I was really interested in in her need for repetition and and um, and familiarity, but still finding um, things to to find in in her so she's often she's watching these um what's the, the films of Catherine Deneuve who right, who yes. I I have I've never seen any I've never films. seen any either and I feel like now I have to because I'm fascinated I, I mean and the way she describes her relationship with these movies is sometimes it's like a friend describing a dream to mm-hmm. you and I was I was very taken by that but I was also curious if um either of you ever find yourself in repetition loops with things. Yo, what did you read and where did you read it? Did you like the book? Would you ever reread it? Did the words sink in? Do you have a question? Did you understand it? What's your comprehension? Reading comprehension. Reading comprehension. Do you guys have find things that you have to repeat and to find familiarity and comfort? Yeah, I mean... The West Wing is definitely my 
no matter no matter what mood I'm in, I can put on a random episode from the first four seasons of The West Wing, and immediately I'm like, oh, so, yeah. Josh is your Catherine Deneuve. Yeah, and it, it plays in the background. Seinfeld even. is mine. Oh, oh yeah, great. great. Yeah. Or Law and Order. As soon as I hear that music, I'm like, oh, I'm all. <laughs> it's even to that point that you can sort of it can be so background that you're not actually paying attention but like your mind knows it well enough that it's filling in mm-hmm. absolutely and as she watches these films three five ten times you're like oh you're you're not there just to see the film right you're you're getting you're getting this com- the comfort that that sort of need of of her mind to get something familiar because mm-hmm. she is always a stranger in a strange land. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, and if you've been, you know, kind of burned so many times by real humans, what could be, you know, because it's like she's watching an actress on a screen, but of course she's not even watching that person, right? She's watching these fictional characters that she's playing. And it's sort of like, it's like humanity three times removed. And, and it's like, of course that would be safe Harbor. Um, where it's, it's, it's like human, but there's no risk of harm. I was struck by the way that she took the plots of these stories and in, like injected them sometimes very directly. Mm-hmm. So you were like, oh, this, for whatever reason, is a big influence. But then sometimes very tangentially, almost just like a, like a glancing, the last chapter for mm-hmm. one, that I was like, oh, this barely touches on the movie that it's apparently based on. Right, right, right. Versus yeah. the chapter... With the hunger, the David Bowie vampire Where film. Where she's literally hungry. And literally yeah. having her blood taken. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it, it was such a strange, otherworldly read. It is. And it, and it gets more, you know, as the book continues, I think one thing that's like the novel that's really interesting structurally about the novel is that that cinematic landscape just, you know, what are those things that you put in water and they, they blow up? Oh, like a like a little like dinosaur. Yeah, like, oh, and pe- it's the pellets. Little... Yeah, like in my mind, that's sort of what happens structurally with the cinematic landscape, right? That it just expands over the course of the book, and it takes up more and more space, and we lose that sense of of the the outside world. Um, so it, it gets it gets fuzzier and fuzzier and fuzzier, and then and then when we get to the end, right? Where the abductor comes back and she goes with him. Oh gosh, that was that was so frustrating. Yeah, right. But it's almost as though I mean, in my reading of that, is that it's I think the kind of question that that novel poses at the end is if you undergo like a trauma so profound, what if the only way to kind of just keep moving forward in time is to invent a way to live as though you have no body? And I think that's essentially what she does. Like like she's living so much in the imagined landscape. It's almost like, well, I can be here. I can be in Bohem. It doesn't matter um, because if I have a movie theater, I, that's the space that I'm dwelling in. Like take, do what you want with my body. Um, I think it's a very, to me, that's a, like kind of a, a really chilling notion but um but the yeah the the novel does such interesting stuff with that that film space and it 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 did remind me of of find me in some ways especially the way that it moves from place to place where it she finds like a a whole world in each in each space yeah um and it actually also reminded me of of another um fsg uh, original and 
a former guest of our show, Catherine Lacey's book. Oh yeah, uh, I nobody love that book. is ever yeah. missing. Um, it really, it really harkened back to that. In that, I can totally see that. Yeah, uh, and that sort of lost self, narrative. lost self way. Yeah, um, and Joy also does engage in a lot of repetition too. She does. Um, I feel I've read a lot of translation recently mm-hmm. in a way that I was thinking about it very consciously as I was reading this book. In the way that, like, as she's watching these films where she she can't speak French, she's she can't speak English, and she's but she's sort of getting it. And by the time like several viewings through, she's like, "Oh, I've picked up enough." But it's never going to be the same thing as as reading it in the original. Right. And this, where there are like there are two originals, right? And and then I don't know. I I feel like when I read translated fiction, I I do get a feeling from it that I I feel like if someone just handed me a book blind. I would be able to tell that it was translated. It's got a, it, this yeah. book definitely has a feel. Absolutely. I, I thought I had, I taught it um, a handful of years ago, a class on uh, literature and translation, but I don't, I'm not fluent in any other languages. So I quite obviously don't do translation work <laughs> myself. Um, but at a certain point, it occurred to me that if we were, you know, if all we were reading was literature and translation, it would probably be a good idea to talk about that at some point. And so I did a bunch of um, translators who either, I either sent them questions over email or they, they Skyped in. People were really generous with their time to very willing to, t- to talk about it. Um, one thing that was really striking to me is all the different philosophies of translation, right? So it's like there are different schools, there are different ways of approaching it, etc. Um, but also just this idea that I don't think any of the translators would have said, I'm giving you the same book that was published in its native okay. language. Like it is, you are creating a new document a new a new version and you're just trying to you're there's an essence that you're trying to to preserve well why don't we why don't we let people discover this wonderful book on their own and uh, and move to recommendations of just books that we like What do you like? What do I like? Yeah, you get to go first. Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, since we're a little tournament excited right now, I'm going to talk about a book that I wouldn't have found without the tournament. Um, it's a great book, um, which, as as the title sort of shows, it's about um, a, uh, a these soldiers that are actually just... They're brought home for just a little bit. They're about to go out on another tour, and they're brought back to be part of a halftime... Super Bowl show, and they're going to uh, be part. No, it's the Thanksgiving. It's show, a Thanksgiving show. That's it's right. The Dallas Cowboys Thanksgiving game, and uh, Beyonce is uh, performing, and they are going to be part of her show. Um, but it's and it's sort of, it's sort of all takes place very quickly, but it also goes back and and forth a little bit, and um, it's a really incredible book, and it's going to be a a, um, a movie now, I guess. Oh yeah, with Steve Martin. Yeah, and Ang Lee is directing. Oh, nice. So very nice. strange, interesting thing. Uh, what about you, Laura? What do you recommend to our listeners? I have this like frantic scramble happening in my brain. <laughs> we can go to Drew. Um, no, I, I, it's, I think the the longer I wait, the more the the scramble will. I fear will intensify just because there's it's like there's it's like everything and nothing at once right you know so many titles that they all just start evaporating like thought clouds being 
punctured. Um, I think one book that I've been really mesmerized by is The End of Days by Jenny Erpenbeck, um, which is, oh. uh, she's a, a German writer, so also keeping with our theme of translation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I love that book. And it's so sort of structurally intricate. And so um, she is one of the most unrelentingly intense writers that I have come across. Um, She just sort of sets this pitch of both emotional and stylistic intensity and just like never, it never breaks. Mm. Um, And I'm really interested in how, like like, I think she's pretty clearly a genius, but I mean, but I'm also just really interested in how like genius aside, she's able to maintain that. So I've been rereading that novel, um, trying to sort of, understand uh in some small way you know how she's able to to sustain that intensity um but it's the structure of the the novel is uh it's it's essentially the story of a woman's life it's told in five parts but at the end of each section she dies mm-hmm. um and oh. so and there are these these sections inter in between that that are sort of like an alternate um you know, explore like an alternate path. Like if, if something slightly different had happened, it's like a way she could have lived. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of like, it's, it's these, it's these, and it's, it's chronological. So at the end is she's an, you know, an old, in the fifth section, she's an old woman. So, but it's just something it's intricate, but it also could have been like incredibly kind of gimmicky um, in, in the hands of someone who's not as brilliant as she, uh, but it's nice. It's just, it's an incredible, incredible book. Um, mm. And with this just gale force power that she keeps up all the way through. So um, yes, the end of days. Wow. That sounds incredible. My, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I've been meaning to read that for a while. That's, I have to go get it now. Uh, what about you, Drew? Um, this is coming out, I think, in about a month. Uh, Helen Oyeyemi's new short story collection, um, What Is Not Yours Is Not Yours. And it's I've never read any of her work before, but it has been heavily recommended. And reading her in short stories, each story somehow, whether literally or sort of metaphorically, centers around a key. And it's just the stories start and you're like, oh, I know how this story is going to play out. And then they take this left turn and you're like, oh, that was just setting up the world for this other story. But she does what people do in a novel in the space of 20, 30 pages. And each one of them is like, it's astounding the way that she's able to just build all of this and make it happen essentially in a flash. Mm-hmm. Um, she's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I like, I, I can't, I need to go back of... and read her backlist now. Yeah, I've read a couple of her her past books and they're they're amazing i want to ask you one more question laura before we we sign off because we are of course tournament of books followers and yes. you got to be in the color commentary box I did. last year I did. and i'm curious what is your i don't know i guess favorite to win it this year well, okay. Um, I have to confess, I I haven't read a lot of the books. Um, oh, you said you've been rereading, the, so you have. Yeah, I was on a big rereading kick um, 
last last year. But there's so so one thing I really love about the tournament of books, I think it it also has introduced me to titles that I either didn't know about or wouldn't maybe have been as inclined to pick up otherwise. But then hearing a judge make a passionate case for them, um, it made me sort of more inclined to read them. And, and totally. I've almost always been been glad. Um, and also, I mean, because they're, you know, like I've been dying to read The Sellout. I've been dying to read The Turner House. Um, and so I also love that the tournament is just like an impetus to, you know, to, to read the books that people have been talking about sort of right now. Um, but I will say that I, um, I loved the invaders and found that to be, you know, really, um, funny, sharp, uh, very engrossing, dark, uh, novel. I also loved, I mean, to go back to Valeria's novel, I thought the story of my teeth was wonderful. And I thought it was just such an interesting vision of a novel, right? Because yeah. the whole thing is collaborative, like the nature of the project's collaborative. It's very collaborative with her translator. I just thought it was, um, it was just such an interesting sort of vision of what a novel can be. Um, and there was this wonderful sense of, of play in the book that I loved. Um, and I also, like so many people loved Fates and Furies, um, and uh, I know the author, so that that might I'm rooting for her <laughs> a little bit, um, a little bit extra, perhaps. But yeah, but those three are are ones that I'm going to be particularly excited to see how they do. Oh, and I also love the Book of Aaron. I'm a huge I'm a huge Jim Shepard fan, mm-hmm. and I could see that book really going far because it's just it's so so. Um, I mean, he's such a he's just he's such a master. He's such a master, and it's such it's so um, compelling and. Um, and and compact and I just I love his work I do love a compact novel I think in in the same way that I'm impressed by really really long books I'm also impressed by like really really short ones well thank you so much yeah, thank you so much for coming on. by the damn library. We really appreciate it. And Find Me is out now in paperback. It is. and um, uh, It will fit in your you pocket. Sh- you should go find it. Will. It will. And while you're there you might as well in your other pocket the Isle of Youth, your FSG Originals collection. I know. You could have, t- you can, like, twinsies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, put it in your winter pockets. <laughs> and uh, and have some excellent reading to do. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. Can we hit it and quit? Yeah! <laughs> no, okay. You want to do one more? Can we hit it and quit? <laughs>